And I think that's very common where you'll be running along in the dark on a trail and you'll suddenly realize there's a lion sitting at the side looking at you. And it doesn't strike you as strange or anything. Yeah, it's the middle of the night, but there happens to be a lion there. And then, and then you get close and you realize it's a rock. Um, but it didn't strike you as strange or scary that it was a lion. And it, that, that sort of thing happens quite a lot. Um, what I had this time was proper hallucinations where I was seeing things and then I'd look back and it was still there. So like um, the, the ground of the, the tunnel, I looked down on the second night, I had my head torch on, the lights all gone out, I had my to head torch on. I looked down and I suddenly realized that there was this sort of mosaic pattern of little flowers and diamonds and all sorts um, that was along the whole length of the tunnel. And I hadn't seen this before. And I thought it was very strange that there was this pattern that they'd got that uh, I hadn't noticed. And, um, and it was also all slightly different colors. It wasn't like bright colors, but it was all colored differently. Uh, and I thought, oh, that's obviously only visible when you look at it with a head torch. That, my friend, was Andy Pearson. And this is the Inspirational Runners Podcast. Hey everyone, hope you're all staying safe during this crazy time. My name is Robbie Marsh and I'm your host, so welcome to the podcast. We have endurance athlete Andy Pearson on the show this week, who just completed the 200 mile tunnel ultra, a mind-bending event held by race director Mark Bain. Andy likes to stretch himself in different directions, competing in mountainous events such as the Dragon's Back, which is a 350 kilometer five-day stage race with about 15,500 meters of ascent. The lengthy joggle, which is John O'Groats to Land's End, which is around 1,500 kilometers in distance. He also completed the Southwest Coastal Path last year, which was the third fastest time, the first being held by UTMB legend Damien Hall. And he towed the line in Big Dog's Backyard Ultra last year after hitting 40 hours in the Castle Ward last one standing. And with a bit of luck, he'll get to take the opportunity this year to take his place in this year's bigs. Before we start, I'd just like to give a quick mention to our sponsors. We run Wild Northern Ireland. Obviously, all the races are on hold at the minute due to the coronavirus. It's been a real impact and everybody's running. All the races have been cancelled. Keep your chins up, guys. Most important thing is that we all stay safe. It's with great pleasure I bring you Andy Pearson. Congratulations, anyway. The Tunnel Ultra. Um for those that don't know about the the tunnel, give us a little bit of an insight into what the actual event is about. Okay, yeah, well, it's um, it's pretty much what it says on the tin. It's an ultra in a tunnel, and it's a, it's a mile long tunnel. I think it's the longest um, sort of bike path tunnel in it might be Europe or maybe the UK. Um, but it, there's a there's a two tunnels near Bath, and the the longer one of the two tunnels is a mile long, and so the race is just um, effectively 200 lengths of that tunnel you start on a, a friday afternoon at 3 30 and you've got 55 hours to complete it so it's got to be done by 10 30 at night on sunday and what's the tunnel like then because it's not a it's not a huge tunnel like a, is it in size no it's um it's sort of enough there's enough room for for two two lanes of people running or cycling um but it's not huge and it's it's dimly lit um all the way down from most of the day, 11 o'clock at night, they switch off the lights till about five in the morning. <laughs> um, so it's a little bit eerie. And then there's music playing as well. These sort of slightly weird violins playing for most of the day as well. You're not allowed any any type of headphones or anything like that, are you? 
No, and um, yeah, they, they say that's for safety because you've got these bikes flying through, but I think it's, it's as much as anything, it's to uh, make it as hard as possible as well. There's no distractions. Yeah, because it's one of Mark Cabine's um, events, isn't it? It is, that's right, yeah. And he has a bit of a twisted mind on him anyway, so he might say it's for safety. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, but he doesn't He doesn't like doing easy in any way or form, does he? No, he likes to make it, likes to, to help you push yourself, basically. Yeah. And uh, yeah, no, he's uh, he likes it to be hard. Um, what sort of drew you towards this race thing? Because I know you do a lot of sort of long distance mental um sort of resilient type of races do you think this one's at the top of the pile for those for that type of thing uh, yeah i think it it is i think in it's I've, I've been thinking about that quite a bit actually whether it's um i i yeah i think there's different challenges with different stuff i've done um and that's what i like about it it's it's sort of having done something it's like when i did um i guess john groats lands end was my longest and then having done that i thought well what could I do that would stretch me in a different way? So I looked at Dragon's Back and that was much more sort of climbing mountains. So it's each time it's something slightly different. And this one is, is uh, yeah, the sensory deprivation and the length of it um, and just sort of going backwards and forwards for 55 hours nonstop. You know, it, it's just, yeah. Sounds like fun. <laughs> it's, it's, it was a lot of fun. It was fun in, um, yeah, for most of the time, I'd say. There were bits where it definitely wasn't fun. Getting to the race can be complicated as well, can't it? It's not like it's a couple of miles to even yeah. get to the race. It's not a, it's logistically difficult to get to. Yeah, the closest you can get is about a mile away. There's a, a pub um, where we we sort of went and had a quick drink, and then uh, then you've got to carry all your stuff to the start point. Um, and if you're if you're coming by public transport, Bath's a couple of miles away. So yeah, it's it's not uh, it's not straightforward. It, and you're not allowed any support either. It's, it's, you're allowed to you take your own box of stuff. They offer limited support, you know, the old pot noodles and things, but, um, but you're not allowed any pacers or, or anybody to, to provide you with anything during the race either. So we're just trying to strip it back as much as possible, really. Yeah, and I think that's something that really appealed to me. It really, in many ways, I think it's, it's, it is the race that I've found it hardest to explain to people why, you know, why I'd want to do it. People, a lot of people just can't get their head around it, but it is partly that it's, it's just making it so it's pure, making it pure. It's sort of stripping it right back just to the running and um, and the endurance and the challenge of actually getting that number of miles done. When you arrive there, then how how much before the event do you actually arrive? Is it like six, three or four hours before it actually starts? Uh, or it, no, we we got there probably um, an hour or so before the start. Yeah. It's all fairly relaxed, you know. I think you, you were meant to um, register with by maybe by three, so yeah, I think we got there about half two. Yeah, but it's yeah, it's a lot of a lot of friends were doing it, so it was a nice place to be, just milling around, chatting with people. It's not a it wouldn't be a glamorous place outside of the tunnel, like so. Um, no, <laughs> you know, it's just like this grim sort of as you can imagine. It's a one mile one mile tunnel. In the arsehole of nowhere really like and we talked about some of the people there like um it's it has to have drawn a unique type of crowd i did spy i think three people i've had on the podcast um that were there as well do you find that you get to know these people through these events and that when you went there you actually knew quite a few people already 
Um, yes, either either online, you know, get to know people through social media, or you you get a bit, fair bit of crossover between the different events. So there were a number of people like all the people you've interviewed from um, the last one standing in Castle Ward. So I think it, it attracts similar sort of type of crowd to the people who like the backyard races. It's that it's partly, um, I think for me, sort of being a, a slightly older, slower runner, the fact that you don't have to be a fast runner to complete these things. Um, it's the same with the backyard. You don't have to be fast to, to get around that lap. You just have to be prepared to keep out going out each each hour and doing the doing it slowly but getting it done. How, how many people entered? There were 40 entered. I think there was about 35 actually started. Is it? Is it? I'm assuming it's capped out around 40 then, is it? Yeah. Yeah, um, and then I think there was some sort of selection process. Mark yeah, that's what I was going to ask then. Did, has Mark got a specific selection process? Is it just, uh, I think you just turn up and send a photograph and with you in a white jacket and that's it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I think he had a minimum of 100 to have completed, you know, he had to have completed 100 to send an application form. And then, I, and then he just wrote um, if you'd been accepted to the race, basically. Yeah, because Mark is very clear. This isn't like a last one standing event. He doesn't want you to see how far you can get. It's a 200 mile event, isn't it? And it's really about yeah, going there and completing 200 miles within that time limit. Yeah, that's very much the idea. You go with trying to finish that distance. It's, yeah, it's not not see how far you can get yeah, the so event at all. How do you prepare yourself for something like that? Um, I, I, I just run a lot, basically. I just sort <laughs> of uh, try and get mileage in. Um, I've done very little speed work this year. Most of my work... My, most of my runs have been um, fairly low, you know, steady running. I keep meaning to put a bit, bit of speed work in, but I think I'm a bit lazy, really. I, just, well, I don't uh, think you can find the time. I don't think it's lazy. <laughs> you, you just don't <laughs> stop running. I just, yeah, I just, I just, I really enjoy the sort of like, you know, going out on a nice steady pace. So I, most of my, I haven't done a lot of long runs either in training. It's been mainly sort of six, ten mile runs, but doing them every day maybe twice a day sometimes um but really looking at mileage per week just trying to keep a good steady mileage and build it up nearer the race what what do you think is important do you think it's important just to get some strength into your legs is that what you're trying to do yeah it is it's getting getting stamina through doing the the um low heart rate stuff and i've done a bit more i've been a bit more scientific with the um preparation this time in terms of actually, I did a VO2 max test, which was quite interesting, um, but also looking much more at, um, at uh, food, what food I'm taking on, and making sure I'm getting the right amount of calories each hour. Because I think that's that's just so vital to the, the long endurance stuff, is that you're just constantly taking on food. Um, so I, I had I'd worked out, I fixed, you know, I wanted to get about 300 calories every hour, and I just kept making sure I did that. Yeah, because you are burning a lot of cal calories in these events, even though you're going slower. You know, if, yeah. if you're sitting on your ass, you're burning calories. Do you know what I mean? And yeah. On the average day, you're burning like eighteen hundred to maybe two thousand calories. So yeah. if you're if you're motoring on in any way or form, you know, you need those additional calories going in, don't you? Yeah, and Strava came out with about twenty-seven thousand calories for that race. So. <laughs> So that works out about right because I probably did take on half of that, you know, about thirteen thousand over the thirteen, fourteen thousand over the um, over the fifty-four hours I took. Yeah, it seems to be coming more and more evident. Um, I know when I did my backyard there, 
you know, I might have went two or three loops, and you're sitting oh, there thinking, yeah. "Geez, I actually haven't eaten anything." Yeah, you know, and, you, and the time goes by so quickly that if you if you haven't sort of got that planned, thought out process, and you're not getting the calories in, because you feel great at the beginning, you know, you're you're, yep. you're Superman at the beginning. This is marvelous. Actually, I'm all right. And all of a sudden, when you start needing it, or you start feeling you need it, you might be too late already. Yeah, yeah, definitely, and and um, and I think that's what's happened to me when on the backyard races. Actually, I, I've um, just been feeling fine. Yeah, you know, most of the time just feeling great, and then suddenly the energy drops off, and um, that's happened all the all three backyards I've done, and uh, it was re- actually reading Maggie's. She did a really good blog um, on the Tailwind site about her approach uh, at Big's backyard, and she talked about the her nutrition and you know how, she, yeah, really sort of focused around that a lot. And so reading that made me think, yes, actually, uh, that's so important to to make sure you're getting that drip fed throughout the race. Um, so that's that's my goal for the year is to really try and crack that and make sure that I can um, keep going a bit longer, basically. Do you, do you feel that you found the benefit then by upping it a little bit this time? Yeah, yeah, I think I definitely did. Um, and I got through, once I got through, I had a bit of a nauseous bit where I felt a bit sick, um, <laughs> 12 hours in or so, I think, 12, 15 hours. But once I got through that, it, it was fine. I just could keep, yeah, keep it going. So what what type of things were you feeling on? Because it's one thing that I do struggle with, I find, um, especially when I go niche. The difficult thing is I think I've got it cracked, but your body just sort of changes throughout these events. And it may be sugar, it may be savory, you know. Yeah, yeah. Well, I had, a, like I said, I had quite a plan going into this one. And um, again, picking up from people like Maggie and Courtney, uh, mashed potato was going to be the big key. So um, along with, I, I do Tailwind uh, as a base and, and use that fairly regularly. And I also, actually, um, I like gels as well. I have the goo gels. I know a lot of people don't get on with gels, but I find them really useful just to keep, you know, every now and then topping up um, energy levels. Uh, so yeah, I'd worked out the mash, the mashed potato, and got them into little bags of 250 calories, and I think I got through about, I must have taken about uh, 15 of those, and probably had two of them, <laughs> by which time they were they were cold and disgusting. <laughs> so uh, yeah, so I had, came back home with a bag full of mashed potato, not very appealing. So instead, with the real food, I was having, I had a couple of the pot pot noodles, um, but otherwise. I had a couple of pies I'd taken with me, um, rice pudding. I did some overnight oats, which is really nice, um, with a bit of fruit. So I think the, the rice pudding and the oats seem to work well, um, and then a bit of savoury pies. Yeah, do you find... So a bit, a bit of a mix, yeah. yeah do you find the savoury... Um, I actually eat a plant-based meal, like, but for some reason, sausage rolls are great for me. I don't know whether it's the fat from the pastry that's actually helping me. Yeah, yeah, no, it's funny actually. I, I, um, my daughter works in a cafe and they make the most amazing vegan sausage rolls. And uh, the owners had they, they said they'd, give, they'd donate me a few for the race. And um, I was in there on the Friday, but they, they weren't quite ready. So they said, um, Oh, don't worry, because my, uh, my wife was coming over on the Saturday morning. They said, Oh, we'll send them over with, with Joe. And uh, it was only when I got to the race, I suddenly thought, oh, no, I can't accept them because <laughs> you're not allowed to bring oh, any, right. okay. yeah, not allowed any support. So anyway, I had those at the end when I got home and they were, de- yeah, delicious. But those sort of things, I think, work really well. 
bit pastry and I had um yeah I just had like a roasted veg pie which was that went down really well what do you do then because it's almost two and a half days isn't it well just over two days you go into your third day anyway so when your stomach starts to get upset in some way or form you must have come to that point at some stage what did you do to settle your stomach um yeah that's when I think that's when I switched to the rice pudding and the oats they went down very easily mm. um and um I'm trying to remember really but that that was fairly early on that I had that bit of the stomach and once I got through that I didn't seem to have any other problem with it I was just happy eating the whole time really I'm generally pretty lucky with with food I can take on most stuff um mm. what about what about fluids then so yeah I was doing I say I was doing tailwind um so trying to regulate the amount of tailwind I was doing fairly concentrate tailwind in um the water because it's not particularly well it's pretty cold in that tunnel so I wasn't sweating a lot um so yeah just sort of trying to keep an eye on that were you were you as calculated as you were with your food then trying to get so many mil in per hour or whatever no I was doing that bit more to thirst yeah okay and the tunnel itself then the start of the race everybody's lined up um did you have a strategy going in um, no, only, well, only that I knew what pace I wanted to go. You know, I didn't want to go any faster than sort of nine, certainly no faster than 9.30, but really aiming 9.45, 10, because I knew that, that that pace was right for my heart rate. Um, and just keep it like that, really keep it steady. I didn't want to have any breaks particularly. I, was, I went in planning to have the odd five, 10 minute power nap if I needed it. But um, the, main, the main thing was just to keep going. Your main objective then was just to finish the race and get through the 200 miles. So I think it was only two people finished it last year. Oh yes, yeah, that's right. It was two people finished last year. Yeah, and I had a, there was yeah absolutely no concern about um, whatever winning or position or anything like that. I purely went in thinking thinking of it as a challenge and aiming for 200. So I did. I set myself a little time target, and I. Um, you probably know, you know, you've uh, interviewed Bobby on this uh, before. Yeah. And he's a bit of an inspiration with his spreadsheets. So I, I took a little <laughs> bit of Bobby inspiration and I had set up a spreadsheet with my um, nutrition and also and also put in times every, uh, what was it, every four laps. Um, and so I worked that round a 50-hour uh, target because I thought, well, if I do that, then, then I've got a few hours to drop um, before I need to start worrying. And that worked pretty well. And by the time I got to halfway, I could see, well, actually, if I aim for 54 hours, then that'll be, that'll be nice and comfortable. And I've got an hour's buffer in case anything goes wrong towards the end. So I started reworking it all in my mind and spent a lot of time to, doing the mathematical sort of processing. And, uh, yeah, worked out how quick I had to do per lap and just kept, kept it going at that and came in five minutes ahead of schedule in the end. <laughs> Because it's longer. It's actually longer than two hundred miles, isn't it? When you actually complete it. Yeah, it is. I mean, my Strava was very kind to me. It gave me about two hundred and sixty, I think. But um, <laughs> I think in reality, it's about two hundred and ten, probably. Did you find yeah. that setting? Because I know Bobby is an expert at it. Do you find that setting those many goals helped throughout the event? Uh, yes, I, I do. Because I, I mean, I really like the, the the sort of keeping an eye on the time. Personally, I like sort of watching that, making sure that I'm keeping within my targets. Um, 
keeping your mind occupied and, on something. Uh, yeah, it gives yeah, it gives you something to think about as well. That's right. And particularly towards the end, and I just knew towards the end I needed to get thirty six minute laps. Um, and so I was constantly looking to see what each lap was. And if I was under a bit, I knew that gave me an extra minute or two and so on. So, yeah, you're, you're constantly sort of reassessing it all. So how, how did the race start then? There's 40 people there lined up. Um, has he got a special yeah. unique way of starting the race? He doesn't, like, blow a conch or anything like that? He, he doesn't light a <laughs> cigarette light or anything. Cigarette. No, 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 no. He just um, he sent five people off at a time because right, it's okay. too, too narrow to sending everyone at once. Um, so, yeah, we just went off five at a time with about 20 seconds, uh, half a minute between each. It's quite a dark um, tunnel as well, isn't it? Yeah, it's pretty dark, yes. It's got a bit of a curve in the tunnel. Uh, yeah, a little bit of a curve, and there's also a little bit of a climb as well, which gets steeper the longer you go, basically. So how, how did it go in the first, say, 25 miles, or the first 20 miles then? Because when you hit 20 mile mark, then you think to yourself, right, I have to do that nine more times. Uh, yeah, the f I'd say the first half of it was fine um, because you you sort of work towards that halfway point. I'm constantly blocking. Again, this sort of thing, this type of race suits me because I like I like sort of blocking things off and thinking, working towards the next ten, and then you get those ten done, and then think about the next ten. And that's that's how I find the only way to do these things is try and forget the big picture and just look at what's ahead of you. Look at that one lap. Or at the very most, think look at it as part of a, a five, um, and so yeah, I was constantly thinking like that, and that, that was all going fine really. Um, to say times was pretty much keeping to what I was hoping to do. By the time I got to halfway, I think that was about twenty three and a half hours, so I was, that's where I was about an hour behind um, the, the time on my sheet. But because I'd allowed those extra hours, I thought that's, that's fine. Uh, it was it was after that that it got a little bit hard. Yeah. Do you find you that you're used to a hundred miles and you're just, you're sort of being patient to get that sort of ticked off before the hardship really starts? Yes. Yeah. Definitely. Having done a few hundreds and a few twenty-four hours, um, and I, yeah, like we talked about what the appeal of the race is, and for me, it was just taking it further than I've been before. I've not done a second night before, not all the way through. I sort of got halfway through with the backyard with the last one standing. Um, so, and it's the furthest I've run. I've done 168 before, but not done 200 plus. So, yeah. So, like you say, it was get, getting that first hundred ticked off is is like getting out of the way, and then it's sort of right here. We we start to head into the unknown soon, and that's yeah. yeah that's yeah. are you okay with that? Like, is it just because what I'm finding is this? I'm a very I wouldn't say I'm an anxious person. Like, um, but I like getting to places. <laughs> <laughs> yeah and uh you know i do find this element of i'm trying to learn patience when i'm going through these type of events i think that's the biggest thing i'm trying to develop is that patience same with the backyard yeah. or same same with the likes of the tunnel getting to 100 miles it's not my physical ability that i doubt yeah it's my mental patience really of just waiting to get to that next point um how do you manage to control that then on the is the 100 miles just a tick the box it's just it's experience you know that's okay um yes it is but and i think it goes back to what i was saying before though i think that the really the key thing is is this forgetting about the fact there's 100 that for me has been the key really because i i can sort of track if i look back over my training it used to be a few years ago when i go out for a five-hour training run 
the thing that would be on mine is not is not the physical thing. It's like oh, I'm just going to get bored, you know. I'm not sure I want to go out for this long. And then, um, but gradually, I've trained my mind into thinking, right? Well, I'm just going to think about the next five miles or whatever. Um, and you, you you block out the whole thing and you just look at what's in front of you. Um, and it's that's what's so important with something like this race is that you, there's no point thinking, oh, I've got two and a half days of this. Um, yeah. yeah, there was one point where I got to I got to about 80 laps and thought, oh, I've only got about 16 hours left. And then I suddenly think that's such a weird thing to be thinking. But for some reason, time just goes, it just becomes a different, you enter almost mm-hmm. like a different time zone because all you're thinking of is terms of, right, I'm going to get this next five laps done. Um, and, and if you can do that and cut out the, the bigger picture, then you don't get overwhelmed by it so much. So the the hundred mile mark, there's quite a few people dropped out um, before they actually hit the hundred miles. Um, were you aware of people dropping out, or were you surprised about people dropping out? Um, not particularly aware, actually, because uh, only you sort of gradually notice people less people in the um, in the tunnel. There, there was a laptop at the end which had all they they kept um, the the sort of uh, everyone's times up on there. So you could stop and have a look to see who was still in it, but I was a bit more focused on what I was doing, really. So I wasn't particularly noticing what was going on. Okay, so then coming up to the 150 mile mark, then you're talking about after 100, you you're breaking it down in 10 mile chunks. Yeah. Um, when did the first real wobble hit? Um, I would say because I, I, I say I had that sort of slight stomach one early on, but that. I got through that all right. I think the the difficult patch for me was probably fifty five laps to sixty five. So that's like what one hundred and ten to one hundred thirty miles. Um, and that's I think that's often the case in the in any sort of race where you get just over halfway, and you think, oh, I've gone that far, but I've still got that much to do. And and that's where your mind sort of slips into that realm of oh yeah, no, this is still quite a long way to go. Um, and also, that was probably hitting, I guess that was hitting the evening, would it have been? Because, the, yeah, the really difficult bit was the middle of the second night. Because the first night, I didn't, didn't really feel tired at all, actually. I just kept going through, didn't feel sleepy, um, didn't notice any of that coming on the first night. But the second night, I got to that bit where I was falling asleep on my, and I literally did fall asleep on my feet at one point. Um and was and was feeling really quite low and oh what's the point of this what's a stupid thing to be doing <laughs> all that sort of stuff good, and good um, to hear <laughs> yeah. good to hear <laughs> yeah no I, I do always get that and I, and I do get the bit where you think well what am i doing this for anyway you know who do i think i am and uh, you know i don't have to do this and i don't never want to do it ever again um and yeah i had i had that little little phase then so I thought, all right, I'm going to have to have a little sleep because I was literally falling asleep on my feet. Um, I had a chair at the end of the tunnel. It started raining at this point as well. So we sort of grabbed the stuff from outside and dragged it into the, the mouth of the tunnel. Um, I had my chair in there. I sat down, put my what my clock on for, I think I think I put 10 minutes on and uh, fell asleep pretty quickly and woke up probably five minutes later. Um, got up, went off and felt great again. Yeah, it's, ama- uh, it's amazing how much a power nap does, like, isn't it? It it really is. It sort of resets. I mean, that was a temporary one. I found that lasted probably about an hour, and then I got back into the same sort of state. Um, and then so I just did the same thing again. I thought, right, maybe I need a bit longer, but I think I still only had five or ten minutes. But 
that time that seemed to fix it completely and um after that i didn't feel tired or drowsy at all again do after you find that. you being more positive again i, I don't know positive is maybe yeah. a strong word to use at that stage of the game but more settling maybe is a better yeah. word Definitely, definitely. And, and that bit, I think that's the bit that I live for, actually, because that, that, I can remember that phase so strongly. I came out of that, and having had that thing of, oh, how many more laps have I got leading up to it? And, oh, it seems such a long way. Suddenly, I got into this, it's really hard to describe, but it's a mental state where you suddenly, everything feels great with the world, and you just think, right, this is what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. I'll just keep doing it. And you forget to, you forget what's ahead of you. Yeah, it's just a really peaceful state i think of the mind where you um it's just a uh, it's just a rawness isn't it really just you strip back to your yourself yeah. really yeah and i think it's i find that if you get through one of those periods that you can continue on the race because you can keep on looking back at that you actually feel yeah. really charged thinking jesus like i came through that now look how strong i feel or look how settled i am now compared to where i was 20 minutes ago yeah and that's the you know it's you know you're telling yourself bullshit (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah and i think that for me is one of the things i love about ultras is that you know whenever you hit that low you know you've been there before and you know if you keep going you'll come out of it and you'll feel great but of course you've got to remember that when you come out of it feel great you've been through that before and you're going to hit another low at some point because you do enter these things thinking oh that's great i feel brilliant now it's going to be like that for the rest of the race but um the last five 10 miles are pretty tough as well um so that, yeah but there was a long stretch where it just felt really good and and a lot of hallucinations as well at that point that was the uh that yeah was, so <laughs> I, I love hearing about hallucinations like so what happened there well because you are, you are was, in a you're in a dark tunnel going back and forward yeah. like for like two it going into your third day as well like and i don't even know how your cognitive sort of holds together at all <laughs> and what you, you're seeing yeah i mean this was this race was the first time I've had proper hallucinations, actually. Um, I've, I've gotten quite intrigued by it, having been through this and sort of read up a fair bit. And so look at the difference between hallucinations and illusions, because that's something I've had quite a lot before. And I think that's very common where you'll be running along in the dark on a trail and you'll suddenly realize there's a lion sitting at the side looking at you. And it doesn't strike you as strange or anything. Yeah, it's the middle of the night, but there happens to be a lion there. And then, and then you get close and you realise it's a rock. Um, but it didn't strike you as strange or scary that it was a lion. And it, that that sort of thing happens quite a lot. Um, what I had this time was proper hallucinations where I was seeing things, and then I'd look back and it was still there. So, like um, the the ground of the the tunnel, I looked down on the second night. I had my head torch on. The lights all gone out. I had my to- head torch on. I looked down and I suddenly realized that there was this sort of mosaic pattern of little flowers and diamonds and all sorts um, that was along the whole length of the tunnel. And I hadn't seen this before. And I thought it was very strange that there was this pattern that they'd got that uh, I hadn't noticed. And um, and it was also all slightly different colors. It wasn't like bright colors, but it was all colored differently. Uh, and I thought, oh, that's obviously only visible when you look at it with a head torch. And it didn't strike, it just struck me as a bit strange that they'd bothered to sort of do this artwork. It's like an art installation they'd done right through this tunnel. And uh, also that I hadn't noticed it earlier. And the next day, I, I suddenly thought to myself, oh, I wonder if it's, look, if you can still see it without the head torch. I looked down and I could still see that pattern. It wasn't all colored, but it was sort of a bit duller, but still all these little flowers and everything. 
And I, I remember even talking, I think it was Bobby I spoke to actually, and I was saying, have, you know, have you noticed this like art installation they've got going on here? <laughs> I'd, I need to ask him if, if, you know, what he thought, whether he's just thought, oh dear, <laughs> or whether he was in the same sort of space. Um, but there was, yeah, so it was that. And then there was another th- really weird thing I saw as I was running along, Louise was um, who you've also Louise interviewed, Smart, yeah. Louise Smart, yeah, she um, she did, had an amazing weekend. She she stayed with us actually the, the night before the race, and um, she'd come. She'd not trained much because she'd had injury for a while, um, but she still went and she did 150 miles. I think. Yeah, she's done brilliant. Yeah, amazing, amazing woman. Um, oh, and full just of, so bright, full of positive bright. energy as well. Oh, yeah, yeah, and just like so bright and cheerful all the way through it. But anyway, she was running ahead of me, and I could see stretched across the tunnel is like red and white safety tape hanging in every like 10 yards or so and i it was like she was moving through or stepping over each one um but this one i knew was an illusion i knew that it wasn't there because every time i got close to it it disappeared so when i caught up with her i said to her oh have you seen the red and white tape and she's saying what are you talking about and i said <laughs> i said it's a sort of illusion look look ahead and then she described back to me exactly what I'd seen. She said, oh, yeah, you mean like hanging low to the ground? And it was, and then I, I caught up with Bobby as well and asked him as well. And he said exactly the same. He could see this, this illusion. It was so weird. And then I spoke to someone else and they couldn't, couldn't see what we're talking about. Yeah, so, so three, three loonies then. Um, yeah. It must be right. something to do. I only podcast loonies, by the way. It must be. Uh, sort of, uh, yeah. 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 It, it is quite um, strange, though, isn't it? it went like? on after. It, it was it was really strange, and it went on afterwards as well. I found that after the race, um, my wife and my daughter came to pick me up, and uh, on the way back to the car, I was just noticing things. I'd walk in with my daughter, and uh, I'd suddenly say, "Look, what's that on the wall?" You know, we're walking past this wall, and I'd just seen this amazing artwork with letters, and and she was going, "Yeah, Dad, that's just a wall." And, <laughs> yeah, yeah, but can't you see that? No, no, Dad, that's just a wall. <laughs> And uh, you know, on the flower, on the floor again, the, the, I could see all these flowers. And um, yeah, I'm gonna say, I said to you, you're gonna tell me that this is just like a normal gravel pavement. It's, yes, Dad, that's what it is. <laughs> and it was, it was such a weird experience because I knew that, you know, I knew that I was appearing weird. She said it was like going home with her mates after a night out. You're gonna have to review um, what mates she's hanging about with. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, uh, God, you're, yeah, just, no, you're, so, you're so, acting just like my dad after a run. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. but no, there was all this weird stuff and then this web stuff in the air coming out towards me. And it went on for probably a couple of hours. Even when I got home, there was a picture on, on my wall at home, which was a, a map of when I ran the River Thames. And um, I just walked past it and I suddenly had to stop because it, it was all done in like 3D and it was like this intricately cut out pieces. It's just so bizarre. The and I, yeah, again, that's something I went back an hour later just to check, and it was looking exactly the same. <laughs> Make sure nobody's playing tricks on you. Yeah, yeah. But the mind's the mind yeah. is an amazing thing. Like this is such. It really is. Th- this event is all about mental resilience, really, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Do you have any strategies for apart from the hallucinations? Like, but as you're going through that process, especially your low points. Do you have any sort of mantras or strategies that help yeah. you work through Yeah, that? I, got, I use mantras a lot, actually. Um, and I, th- I, I think positive thinking is so important. Um, you know, as soon as you find yourself slipping into 
into the negative stuff. It's just getting into something, a mantra that that works for you. And I'll I'll do whatever comes to mind. Really, and also I think gratitude. I found this time was a massive thing. Yeah, I had this one. I told my family afterwards um, that that I just I just kept saying to myself, "Can't believe how lucky I am," and I just kept saying that. Um, and as I did it, I was thinking about I got three daughters and, and my wife. I kept thinking about each of them and just thinking, you know, being so grateful for, for them as a family. Um, and I find just focusing on something like that where it's really positive helped me dispel all those um, negative thoughts. Um, and then other times I'd just chuck in something like, oh, I don't know, I can't believe how strong I am. It's just make, you know, something to convince yourself that that you're, you're doing well. Um, because so, your, your mind just reacts to that, doesn't it? Like, it's, you have to be very careful of negativity out yeah, on course. Yeah. And it just breeds so quickly as well. You know, if you're walking yeah. alongside somebody or jogging alongside somebody that's throwing out a few negative jibes, like, um, you can join the pity party pretty easily. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, I think, it, I think it is so key to keep positive. And I, there was other things I kept sort of just saying to myself, oh, I love this tunnel, I love being here. You know, that sort of thing, just constantly saying how wonderful it was and how I didn't want the race to stop. Um, yeah, just just stuff to make you, you to make yourself think that you're having a great time. So tell me about the last, say, 10 miles then, because 10 miles in the tunnel at that stage, sleep deprived, standing on flowers that aren't there. Um, <laughs> You know, you're you're into your third day now. Ten miles is still a long time in the tunnel, isn't it? Yeah, so ten miles. Um, so that'd be the last five laps. Were you confident that you were going to finish it at that stage? Yeah, I think by the time I got to um, ten laps left, so that'd be what 180 odd miles. I knew it was okay then. Um, I know, but that was where Bobby stopped last time wasn't it so yeah. i was very aware that he'd he'd been through that really difficult patch and so when i got to that point and thought actually i feel okay then i thought well yeah I'm, i can stick it out whatever now um so that's yeah i guess that's about 20 miles till the end um and then the last 10 miles they were just they were just hard work you just sort of yeah at that point you think right come on i just want to go home now i've had enough <laughs> Um, and so, so you're just sort of counting them off. So what happened when you finished then? Because um, you would have heard now that a couple of people have finished. There's a couple of... What place did you finish? Was it fifth? Uh, seventh, I think. Seventh. Was, so yeah, so you, there was only one more after me. It was, um, um, do you find guy, everybody else, you know, is very supportive of you? Then come on, Andy, like a few laps to go. Yeah, yeah. We had... Um, well, I guess once, the thing is, when, once they've finished... Yeah, you're pretty much in your tunnel on your, on your own then. It was, it was me and Tateno, the Japanese guy, uh, running the last couple, I think, who... The, the, the last few of us, we pretty much finished one lap after another, um, which was very helpful. There was a guy doing a documentary, um, so he, I think he was quite pleased because he followed each of us in on the last Brilliant. lap. So we, we, we uh, yeah, spread it out nicely for him. So that last... When I was doing my last lap, it was only me and um, Tateno still going um and bobby was waiting and brendan had finished before him uh, he he got off pretty quickly i think he was um needing to find a hotel or something he was uh, yeah everyone's a bit worried about him he just sort of wandered off into the night having run for 53 hours or something um so there was only really yeah there was a handful of people there at the end 
So how did your body feel then, like, when you just finished? Like, because your mind can let go at that point, can't it? Do you collapse? Yeah. Or no, um, well, I was not quite pleased to sit down, but um, I didn't feel too bad, really, actually. Um, I don't think. Yeah, no, I think I sort of sat down for a bit and waited for um, Tateno to finish. That was great seeing him coming because he really, he looked like he was really struggling towards the end. So he, he is a very, um, yeah, determined guy. And uh, he's going to be out of bigs next this year. So it'll be nice to catch up with him right. again. Um, it's great to see that as well, isn't it? I know when you're going through it yourself, but when you actually, when you're out of that and you're actually seeing other people sort of going through that process, um, I don't know if emotional is the right word, like, but it, it's a great thing to witness, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, really good. Yeah, I mean, let's say he just really seemed to have a lot of grit, a lot of determination to get through that. He'd come over especially just for the race from Japan. Wow. So I was, at one, you know, at one point I thought he's going to, there's no way he's going to finish because he just looked in such a bad way. Um, so I was so pleased to see him finish. And 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 Bobby as well after last year, I was really yeah. pleased that he, he got that done. So yeah, it's it's that's why it doesn't feel like a race at all. You're just willing everybody else to, to do it and you don't care where you come. It's just want, you want people to get that achievement. You talked about the joggle there. Um, yeah. I was talking to Sharon Gaynor. It's Sharon Gaynor, isn't it, who'd done the FKT yeah, for so the women's Sharon last Gator. year? She hated <laughs> the backyard. <laughs> Miserable conditions in Castle Ward. Um, yeah. So for those that don't know, it was only when I um, caught wind of Sharon that I actually understood what the joggle was. So what is the joggle? So joggle is, is John O'Groats to Land's End, or Le Jog is going the other way, Land's End to John O'Groats. So it's the, the furthest northeast of the um, UK down to the southwest. So it's the longest route, basically, the length of the country. Um, what year did you do that? Was that two years ago? So, no, 2016 I did that. 2016? Yeah, there's an event, an organised event, which um, okay. Ultra Running Limited do as a, like a race. How many sort? How many people would enter a race like that? Well, the there was only three the year I did it. Three of us did it, um, but they normally get six to. I think they, you know, they get more each year. It's mental, um, isn't it? Like, so how long do you have to finish a race like that? So it's a 17 day stage race, so it averages about 52 miles a day. Um, so it's fixed stages and then uh, it's all sort of fully supported is it the distance that sort of we've heard why you've entered the the tunnel race is it the type of is it the distance then that sort of attracts you to that type of race yeah that was my um so when yeah, it's 2016 so i i've i've gradually got into these multi-day and and longer races and, and what i found is the um the first one i did was the the River Thames, mm -hmm. and I did that as a, a self-supported marathon a day thing back in 2012. Um, and I did it as a, a fundraising thing for a, a, um, a charity called Frank Water based here in Bristol. Um, and then having done that, I then started getting into ultras. And then everything I've done, I sort of each time wanted to push it a little bit further. So the next one I did, the multi-day was the seven challenge. That was River Seven. And that was more like nine marathons in five days. And then what I find is I do something like that, and then I hear about um, is it the same organization or um, run the joggle. So I, I heard about that race, and I, started, I always start off with the, 
oh wow I could never do that you know that's way out of my league <laughs> and then gradually you know this little seed gets into your brain you start thinking well you know I wonder no surely not and then I so what I did was I because it comes down through Bristol I joined with um the race before there's one guy left by the time we got to Bristol Sean so I, I joined with him and ran with him into Bristol and the next day out and chatted with him and by the time I'd sort of spent an hour, a few, a few hours with him, I came back and, you know, there was no, nothing stopping me. I was just desperate to do it. So I um, booked in for the next year and, uh, yeah, and I absolutely loved it. it was Is it that sense, of a, that sense of a adventure that you enjoy? Yeah, yeah, the adventure and, and the sense of just doing something that you never thought you could do before. That's just taking it a little bit further than you think you can do it. And I like going into things where I feel like there's a 50-50 chance of, you know, I'm, I'm putting 50-50 on me managing it, which is probably what I, I felt with that and the same as I felt with the tunnel um, and the Southwest Coast Path and other stuff I've done. Each time it's like, yeah, I think I might be able to do this. I might not. But, you know, I like that that feeling of, right, I'm going to go and see if I can. What did you find was the biggest challenge doing the juggle? Um, Apart from the distance. <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah uh what was the biggest challenge i the other two who were running dropped out fairly early so by about seven days on i was on my own um and the, well the only the, the biggest challenge was uh, halfway through i started to get um an injury in my right my right ankle really sort of swelled up i was getting a lot of pain and that was a real low point for me. Um, <laughs> yeah, it tends to be. Mainly because, yeah, it was mainly just because I thought this is it. You know, I, I was, it was day, I think day eight, it started building up. Day nine, bang on the middle of it. I was heading towards Kendall. It was getting more and more painful. And I was thinking, you know, this is it. This is going to stop all this that I've been building up. And I'm going to just have to end it. Um, Steve, who runs it, he he had a look at it and he was a little bit worried. And he said, well, We'll see if we can get someone to look at it in Kendall. So he he booked, a, he managed to find this sports video who agreed to come out any time of night. And I was due to get in there about half 10, I think. Um, so I ran into Kendall just thinking, that's it. You know, there's no way a sports physio is going to look at that and say, oh, yeah, what you need to do on that is run another 500 miles on it. Um, so I, I went to that, went to the guy, he had a look at it. He said it was, well, it's swelling, it's edema, and um, yeah, not, not ideal to be running, but just try and raise it, rest it, ice it whenever you can, um, and just see how you get on. So, um, yeah, but it wasn't, you know, it wasn't the anything physio, think, The physio wouldn't want you to be running 874 miles no matter what. <laughs> no, that's true. Although he was a sports physio, and he was very, very understanding, really. Um, I think Steve had been worried whether it was compartment syndrome, which can be quite dangerous so once we decided it wasn't that i thought well i'll keep going see how it goes and um over the next couple of days it just sort of gradually got better and yeah three or four days later couldn't feel it it's swelling went down and i was back to um you couldn't feel it like, running like you could think about that in two different ways <laughs> i actually couldn't feel it after two or three days it was fine yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah no it was definitely you look different and everything um so how many miles a day um, were you were you actually going through so it was averaging 52. So we started off lower and the maximum were about 60 odd. And I, yeah, I just absolutely loved it. It was completely, um, I almost say like life-changing. It's just, yeah, just- Liberating. It was really an incredible experience. 
Yeah. And and how do how do you find that then? Because our modern world is very much it's a rat race, like isn't it? It's fair. You don't have that much time. You're always having to be here or do this, and it's yeah. It's quite yeah. an anxious world we live in. It is, yeah. And I, you know, I do, and I'm very aware of how incredibly lucky I am to be able to do things like that. You know, I've got a very supportive family that let me go off and do that. And um, but it, there is something about just taking yourself out of life and and just having that time. Um, yeah, yeah. It's just so you've got a lot of time to think. Um, a lot of time just to be yourself on your own. Time to live yeah. your life, really, isn't it? It's just time yeah. to live a little bit. Yeah, yeah. No, I find that whenever I do these things, I do, yeah, I do find them quite sort of intense experiences, really. Mm. It's quite meditative, really, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. No, and I'm, I'm a big, big believer in that. I do quite a lot of sort of contemplative running and actually, um, yeah try and build like mindfulness stuff into my running um but also it is it's a lot you just have a lot of time to think and and also i think when you're taken you take your body and your mind to, to sort of places where you wouldn't normally go and you get it's almost like that outside shell gets thinner and thinner because you're you're fairly vulnerable and i find that you know, there'd be times when I'm doing those runs when I'm just suddenly, something will trigger it. It might be a song I'm listening to and I'll just suddenly find these massive well swells of emotion coming over me and I just, you know, I'll be on a trail somewhere <laughs> sobbing for no apparent reason. <laughs> I'm glad I'm and not the only person that does that, like running along the seafront. I might edit that bit out. I don't know yet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so last year, I actually watched you then because I'd met you in 2000 and don't know it was 19 actually um two years ago wasn't it yeah, yeah. so but I, so i followed you then when you done your is it the south west coast path yeah because it was like how far was that that was over 600 miles wasn't it yeah 600 630 miles so that looked but, absolutely awesome though oh it was it was stunning yeah it's 115,000 feet of climb it's it goes from um i started in pool and you go all the way around the, the coast path the minehead um and it is yeah it's just beautiful scenery and i got i mean i was very sort of lucky stroke unlucky because the weather was amazing it was sunny virtually every day um but it did mean it was a little bit warm at times yeah how was your navigation with that um not too bad considering because i'm not the not the best navigator but i had done a lot of work um planning and plotting the route and on the whole it was it was okay there was one really bad bit which um sort of threw me off i i went in with the sort of i i publicly said i was aiming for 12 days um but privately i had in my head that i might give a go at the fkt which um, damien hall has at 10 days and 15 hours um, so I'd set my timing to try and have a, have a bash at that. And, um, again, like I say, I went in with probably sort of a 50% ch chance I'd give myself on the 12 days and maybe a 10% on uh, knocking any time off the FKT. But as it was, I was doing really well up to halfway. I was about 10 miles ahead of that schedule. Um, and it was about day seven day eight i had a real nightmare in the middle of the night i, I got completely lost ended up doing this massive it's quite a comical um picture on strava there's a great big loop that i did 
uh, sort of ended up, I came to this house, which was off the route. And so I tried to find my way back onto the route. My head torch died at the time. I was scrambling through all these gorse bushes, took a great big detour. And after about a couple of hours, I found myself back at the same house Jesus. where I'd started. Gutted. This was like midnight, probably one o'clock. Um, so I called my brother who was crewing me. And in the end, he just drove over to where I was and I stopped there um, for the night or for a couple of hours anyway. Um, started again in the morning. And I think from then on, it was, I had a couple of hot days and it sort of gradually, it gradually sort of petered out the um, FKT attempt. But um, in a way that was quite freeing and I sort of went back to my 12 days and uh, yeah, I finished it in exactly 12 days in the end. It was amazing weather you had, wasn't it? Oh, it was stunning, yeah. I watched, I watched your small video that you put out bits and pieces. All I seen you was drinking pints. Yeah. <laughs> and eating I had to pizza. get my nutrition in somehow. <laughs> drinking, drinking pints and eating pizza is that the trick? There was, there was a fair bit of that going on. Yeah, yeah. You had quite well, a few have... ferries to catch as well, though, didn't you? Yes, there were. And you sort of either, depending on what the time of day or night, you either get the ferry or you sort of run to the ferry point and then get the lift round to the other side. Um, so there's a few of those I did. It was a bit of um, had to hitch a lift on a on a canoe at one point across a, a river um and had to wade through one or two others but yeah there's a few few ferries as well you talked about planning there as part of that southwest sort of venture yeah. is that a part of these type of events that you enjoy because i know you've done um escape from meriden as well yeah yeah i do actually and, and it's i i i find um that i do all different types of events and get different things from different you know, different events. So, so the tunnel would be one thing. John O'Groats Land's End was a, an organised thing. I didn't have to think very much on that. All I had to do was run. Um, the Southwest Coast Path was very different again because it was all, you know, it was self-organised. I had my brother who, who was crewing me. He had a camper van, so he came along and crewed me. And between us, we had to, you know, work out all the meet points. And um, and he was in, absolutely incredible. He had not never done anything like this before. And, yeah, you look back and think, actually, he was in the job of three people at least, um, keeping me going and, you know, getting, keeping everything charged and getting the food and cooking the food and turning up at the right place. Just, yeah, incredible support. Um, and sounds, so that Sounds like you owe a lot to your support crew. Yeah, yeah. And that's probably most of the time, most of the races I do, I don't do, I, I, you know, if I do 100 miles or something, I don't tend to take crew or support or paces or anything. I like to do it on my own. But um but that was one way you really needed it. And he was, yeah, he was amazing. When you'd done the escape from Eridan, did you achieve the Black Crow? Yeah, I did, yeah. The, so, so, yeah, escape from Meriden, they've got the was it silver, gold, and black, isn't it? So you start in Meriden, the centre of the country. You have 24 hours to run as far as you can in any direction. <laughs> um, and everyone's got a tracker and you can sort of follow. It's very, very entertaining to follow online. Um, but you get for 30 miles as the crow flies, you get the silver for 60, you get the gold and then for 90, you get the black. So I had a plan to run basically from Meriden down to, to Bristol where I live and a little bit further. So it was, it was a little bit frustrating because about 10 o'clock at night, I was literally ran past my door about hundred yards away from a door and had to keep going for another couple of hours knowing there was a bed there waiting for me. Um, but yeah, I made it to 90 I don't know, 90 and a bit. 
Yeah, because Sean Nickel, I think, actually followed your course. We did a podcast he did. with Sean. Yeah, um, he came. He he came uh, down the same route, and I joined him on that little run as he as he ran through Bristol. So you can see all the different dynamics that you're going after. You talked about the drive, uh, the Dragon's Back. I think it's is it 250 miles. It's a stage event. Yes, is it? Yeah, something like that. Two thirty. Yeah. It's, it's kilometers or miles anyway. The Dragon's Back in Wales. Um, so there's quite a lot of climbing in that as well. Is that the reason why you went after that? Yes, because that was something. Again, it was something new that I hadn't done. Yeah, a bit more in the mountains. Um, a few little scary bits. Crib Goch sort of scared me a lot before I, I uh, did that. Um, and yeah, so I was doing a multi-day stage race, but with a lot of climbing. So it was, it was very different from the other, the yeah, other river ones that I've done. You seem to be stretching yourself in so many different directions, like <laughs> mentally, distance, elevation. Um, this journey i suppose that you've been on when you look back maybe 10 years ago do you really feel that sort of strength has built up over the last 10 years yeah oh yes definitely yeah because i start it's probably 10 years since i started running at all um and yeah I, i've really you can yeah, you know, i can track back and and see how i've sort of developed and i think you know i think it's really important to say um that i'm really not a great runner you know it's it's I'm not someone who came into this as a as a runner. I was, I was looking at your um your strap line is something about extraordinary things by ordinary people. Um, but you know you, you've had a few extraordinary people recently with your Courtney's and uh, John Kelly's and that. So I'm back here to bring you back down to earth. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, so here's one for the ordinary people. But I definitely came into this. You know, the only I've only ever had one DNF, and uh, that was the Great North Run half marathon. <laughs> <laughs> It was, uh, it wasn't technically, classic, classic. I didn't technically DNF it because I, I just finished the last mile in an ambulance. I got to, got to mile 12 and I collapsed. Was, you know, to this day, I don't know why that was. Um, but I was probably, that was it was too 30s. short. It was nearly, nearly at the end, only 13 miles. You didn't know what to do yourself. No, you just no, collapsed. This was, this, <laughs> no, this was before I'd even, you know, for me, 13 miles at that time was like massive. Um, I, this was in my thirties. I hadn't been running at all. I did, you know, I trained quite hard for it, so I don't know why it happened. And I came back and I did the Bristol half a few weeks later, no problem. But that that sort of sealed for me that I wasn't a runner and really didn't had no interest in it at all. And then it wasn't until my my mid forties that a friend came back from having done the Mont Blanc marathon, and he he sort of raved about that and got a bunch of us to do one of these coastal path marathons. Um, so I did that and then it just all went from there and, and yeah, like you say, that was 10 years ago and then just building it up from there, trying out different things and I, I'm just a complete addict to it. You know, I love it all. Um, and I'll take on anything. Just there is a touch, there's a touch of Forrest Gump about you. So there is. <laughs> yeah, possibly. <laughs> but you talked yourself down a good bit there. There has been a total shift in the running scene, I think, especially over the last four or five years um when you talked about all these great runners yeah but there is a new door that's opened for these events that we have now like the 20 well like like the backyard ultra for example yeah the tunnel ultra and it's it's the mental resilience really yeah puts you up at the point the end of the field you know and to finish like 200 miles in the tunnel there's not too many people can actually do that yeah and i think i i have got a 
great debt of gratitude to people like Laz and Mark Cobain because you know they're they're out there putting these races on because they you know they like that sort of thing. And I think Laz is genius with the stuff he comes up with. Um, you know, he's got his race for the ages and all those things that 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 um, favour endurance and and stamina over your sort of natural speed. So yeah, it suits me well. Because you, you moved into a new age group there, didn't you, this year, was it? Or last yeah. year? What age was that, 55, yeah. was it? 50, 55 now. Yeah. I'm glad I got that right. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Oi, 45, what are you talking about? Yeah. Um, yeah, no. But do you find, like, your endurance, like, you're 55 years of age, um, you're holding out with the best. Like, this year, you're going back to Big's Backyard Ultra, and you're competing some of the world's best as well at 55 years of age do you find it that your endurance and i suppose that journey it's all experience in it isn't it in these type of races that you're stronger now than you were five years ago or 10 years ago yeah yeah definitely and and it's um i mean th things like recovery as well i've really noticed you know after this 200 i actually didn't i didn't need any more sleep than um than i would normally take and the next day or two I actually you know I was a little bit stiff the next day but I was walking around I was back at running club on Tuesday and and those sorts of things you know it's it's that's just from several years of building it up um yeah it definitely put me back a few years a I wouldn't have got anywhere near finishing the tunnel and b if I had I would have probably been out of action for a week or two so um <laughs> Your, yeah, fir your so first few marathons, you can't even bloody walk down the stairs. No, that's right. Yeah. So now all that's cumulative. Um, the endurance and the recovery, it's just, I think the more you do, the more you get used to it. Um, yeah. And I'm still, at the moment, I'm the oldest on the uh, start list for big. So I'm hoping that stays that way. Yeah. So it was actually Castle Ward last one standing last year. I sort of first met you. Um, I have to apologize personally because I sort of slaughtered you a little bit on the podcast. <laughs> it's like there was this guy Andy, like, <laughs> and he was like, I thought he was definitely eight. <laughs> but it's it's so very my ears have been my ears have been burning. Don't worry. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but it's very hard to tell, and it just goes to show in these type of events because I can I can the two people that sort of stuck out in my mind was yourself and Bobby because you had yeah. you hanging off the back, um, who looked like you were going to drop. And then you had Bobby, who was bouncing with a big grin on his face. Yeah. And next thing you know, <laughs> yeah. Bobby's out. And you're like, what? <laughs> what, what happened there? Yeah, well, you see, and that's, that's what's funny, because when I did hear you, you know, I heard you mention that on one or two podcasts. And that's where what's happening inside is very different from what's happening on the outside. Because <laughs> as far as I was, you know, in my, in my mind... I was looking exactly like Bobby, you know, I felt great. I was loving it all. <laughs> and then to hear you say that, and actually, you know, you, I, you sent me those photos kindly after, um, after that race. And I remember looking at them and thinking, what, who's that grumpy old man who looks like he's about to die? Um, I, yeah, I, I, I really enjoyed that race. There was one, it was a dip, you know, about 36 miles and 36 hours where, um, I was suddenly feeling bad, but the rest of it, I was feeling great, but I, I don't think I, you know, I I don't think I maybe show that on the outside as much as I feel on the inside. Whereas yeah. Bobby just yeah, he's just constantly looks um just very chilled and happy and yeah. He's always smiling. So I'm working on that. I'm working on the smile. <laughs> but I think what made me think that was was because you were hanging off the back an awful lot, but you were playing right. a very good yeah. pacing strategy, weren't you? Yeah, yeah. So if, uh, if it was time, that was more yeah. I mean, I was, I was basically aiming for 
I think I was 52 to 54 every lap on that race. And that's what I was aiming for. So you were saying um, very focused on your plan. Yeah, yeah. And um, that was a good comeback there, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think Boom, you, I'll save that one. Like, so pull that one out of the bag. Do you find that is your best sort of strategy going in there around 52, 54, not sitting around too long? Yeah, yes, I think it is. Although I think what I'm realizing is that if you want to go beyond, if you want to go through two nights and beyond, you've got to start probably working in some of the sleep breaks. Although having said that, you know, you read, read Maggie's blog again. I don't think she really slept particularly. So, you know, it worked for her. Um, so I don't know. You know, what I find, the problem with Biggs is the his his loop's a little bit harder, um, the the daytime loop, because he's got the daytime and the nighttime. It's a bit more technical. Yeah, it's more technical, a bit more hills in it. So for somebody like me who's on the slower end, um, it just pushes everything up a minute or two and you get a bit closer to the cutoff. So, um, yeah, that's why I think I didn't do, I did 34 hours there, which is a bit, you know, under what I was hoping for, but I think yeah. that may have been. But you done for, you done 40 hours, was it in Castle Ward? Yeah. 40 there. Yeah. Um, it's quite difficult enough course as well, though. It can be pretty much. Yes. That's, yeah. And it, and it was pretty cold and yeah, it was, Few, yeah, a little bit hilly. So I'm after Suffolk this. Well, again, if it, if it happens, I'll be in, in Suffolk in June. Um, that's a fairly flat course, so it'll be interesting to see how I get on with that. Yeah. Did you have aspirations of getting into Biggs when you were at Castle Ward? Uh, I did. Yeah, I was. I, I was really keen. And um, did you did you think that you had to get to forty loops to stand a chance, or you just had to, you were trying um, to win it? I well, I, I say that actually. I think probably going into it, I didn't particularly think I had a chance. So although it was something I'd have said, yeah, I'd love to do it. You know, it was a real dream to go out to to Biggs and see where it all started. Um, it probably wasn't until we got to the 36 hours and people started dropping out, or I think everyone dropped out. Then it was me and Peter left that I actually realised, oh yeah, you know, I've got a chance of of winning this. Um, yeah, and Peter already had a place at, uh, yeah. at Biggs. <laughs> so I was, you, yeah, you done there's the, no he, way. It was exactly the same this year as well with himself and Ian Keith. So he's already yeah. on the he's already on the starting list. Yeah. Um, yeah. But and he, he was saying... He's yeah, going to make you work saying, for it, like... <laughs> yeah, yeah, and he was saying, you know, oh, you'll probably get in anyway. But And, and there's no way I'd have wanted him... You know, obviously, nobody would want him to, to drop yeah. to let somebody else get in. Um and he was, yeah, he's an amazingly strong runner. Um, and I think in my head, no, actually, yeah, I was going to say I didn't think I could beat him. But I think after that, in that sort of 36, 38, 39, he was looking like he was flagging a bit. And I, I got it into my head that I was going to win. Um, so what happened then? Well, it's, I was, it was all down to me. You know, Peter's a, he's not only a brilliant runner, he's probably the best... Um, He's the best sort of uh, the one at the mind games of, of all people. You know? yeah, <laughs> He's got yes. so many different strategies up his sleeve. He does the thing where he comes out and says, "Ah, oh, that's me done." You know, you go off and win it. And I'm like, "Are you sure?" He's like, "Of course, I'm joking." I'm like, "Let's go." <laughs> and he sort of makes you. He keeps this almost like tugging you in and letting you go. And then at one point, he was 
running right up close behind me and I thought he was trying to get past but you know it was only later I found out he was just sort of yeah pushing me and uh, trying to play with me but I was just completely focused on what I was doing I had my earphones in listening to my music having a great time yeah I felt really great in that 36 to 40 um time and then it was it got to 40 and I think it was even on that lap he he came up to me and said something like, oh, I'm going to grind you down, you know, in a joking, joking, not joking sort of way. And we're having a bit of a laugh. And I said, oh, you know, you can do what you like. I'm just enjoying the music here. And I did actually, yeah, I felt great. Um, and then it was on that 41st lap we went out and I just suddenly, my, my energy just suddenly dropped off completely. And like I say, that's exactly what's happened in all three of the backyard races I've done. Uh, I get to feel great and then suddenly, bang, it, it's gone. And I, I can hardly, you know, I make them... I can move very slowly, but just not fast enough to get around in a lap. So um, I knew I wasn't going to make it. And halfway around that lap, I just um, shook his hand as he came past, going the other way or something, and uh, said, yeah, well done, you got this one. Because that, that is the challenge, isn't it? Like when, when your energy drops off or something happens, you don't have much time to recover. Yeah, that's you right. You actually have like... no time to recover, because especially if you're touching 52, 54 minutes, um, if you yep. lose three minutes, you're in trouble. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like Laz always says, you can't you can't have a bad lap. Basically, you know, most races you can have a dip, you can walk it out a bit, and then you know, have a little rest, eat something, off you go again. But you know, you can't in a, in a backyard type race. You have to just hit it every every loop, and that seems to be the bit that gets me. You know, again, something Laz says is that the hardest bit of the race is the the, the five meters between your chair and the start. But for me, I, I never find that. There's nothing. That stop, you know, I never feel like I, I don't want to get to the start line and go off for the next lap. Mm. Um, so that's not actually been an issue for me. It has just been this the point when the energy goes. And that's why I thought, you know, let's see if I can work on the nutrition, see if we can get that keeping going a bit more. Yeah, Castle Ward's a bit tricky as well because I was making sure I wasn't going to die in the seat. Um, although I knew I wasn't going to be in it for the long haul as well. But in Castle Ward, you actually go past the finish line at mile one. So I, oh yes, yeah. I had in my head, I'm not going to die in the seat no matter what, and I was, my stomach was all over the place. I felt really sick, um, and yeah. that's where I'd made my mistake. But I said to myself, I am not dying in the seat. So I got up and went, but I knew that I could finish after a mile. It was yeah. such a cop out, like so. I should have prepared <laughs> myself for you're not dying in the seat, and you have to finish the lap no matter what yeah. time you finish it. Um, but you did get and, to Biggs last year, like that. Well, that was an amazing experience to get there. Oh, it was. Yeah, it was. It was great to be out there, and um, yeah, be at the sort of legendary place and meet legendary people. It was, yeah, really exciting. Because Laz is such an icon in the world of ultra running. Did you go to the Birmingham? Um, I did. Yeah, to the running show. Yeah, he was asked. I loved his quote when he was asked, yeah. you know, how how hard was the Barclay? And he said yeah. it's like having a vasectomy with a rusty spoon. Yeah. <laughs> That's so, so him though, isn't it? So what was yeah. what was it like meeting him and that sort of experience? It was um it's sort of slightly surreal because you know you, you get to you you almost get to know somebody because you've watched a lot of videos, you've seen the various sort of Barclay documentaries and stuff. So you feel like you know the person already and he, he yeah, he, he pretty he's um, exactly as you'd expect him. So it's like, yeah, it's a bit weird. You feel like it just seems very normal meeting him. Um, but yeah, no. I, well, that was a very I, very unique race as well, though, wasn't it? Because when we talked about the Japanese guy in the tunnel, 
um you had will haywood yeah now, he you didn't look you didn't look like that by the way just so <laughs> <laughs> like, he really was on death's door like but yeah. his resilience to keep on going and going that must have been very empowering to watch yeah that i find watching that almost you know maggie was was incredible but she it was almost quite effortless so in some ways it was almost as inspiring to to watch will because he was you felt like he was never going to win it but each lap you thought right this is going to be it here he goes and then off he'd go again looking like death but just so much determination yeah no i i came away with massive well massive respect for both of those two but um, in in different ways so you're on the starting list again for this year fingers crossed this whole virus thing has yeah. passed luckily it's in october yeah um they seem to be moving every race in the calendar to september yeah. october november so <laughs> it's going to be yeah. a busy the whole planet's going to be running it around that month um do you find the likes of the tunnel then is good preparation for that yeah, and to be honest, you know, it was a it was a a massive um, target for me the tunnel to get that done. But I have I've put in races this year all geared towards trying to trying to learn and trying to um, improve my endurance and stamina for bigs. You know that that will be that will be the big one this year. I'd love to love to get through the second night and. Um, see where it goes yeah, from there to me I, f I find people are only just learning about the race because it's going so far so to your point earlier you know you know you can go you can turn up and do 100 miles you just do what you normally do get the nutrition yeah. right but if you want to go past like two days or go into the third day you need to think your strategy in a different way yeah yeah you know, yeah, you've, talked, you've talked about your calories there. You've talked about getting some rest and sleep and how you fit that in, in this, you know, crazy loop, loop, loop every single hour. Um, it's quite hard then and challenging. Um, do you have one thing I, I found was not having a support crew was a real problem for me because I just needed something warm. And as soon as I came back and I, I was out, I took some hot soup. I don't know if that was a mental thing, by the way, whether it was just weak, <laughs> but um, as soon as I took the hot soup, my stomach settled. I thought, damn it, I was thinking I needs, just needed something warm. Yeah. Um, do you think having that support crew is important? Um, I think it does make a big difference. Um, and I think this time I'll probably make sure you will add one person with you. So, yeah, I'll, make, I'll probably make sure that there is someone. Last, last time... Um, there were you know, other people around who dropped out fairly early on um, who immediately sort of come alongside and start helping you. Um, Mark, who I went over with, Mark Haney, he was, um, he was really helpful um, and, yeah, kept me going. But I think, but, you know, you say that, but then you look at someone like Johan Steen, who's got the, the furthest ever in backyards, and I, I don't think he has a crew. He just turns up with a box and, and his little chair and you know, he just misses a whole night at last the one he did 68 laps on i think he missed pretty much the full night before it as well because his flight was delayed yeah that's right so you know he's quite, no, he's quite a unique character yeah there's no rules on these things i don't think um i don't know what he did but 283 miles i think he did 
I think it was, yeah, it was 68 hours, that's for um, sure. So Johan, is he, he's back this year, isn't he? You've got the likes of Camille. Yeah, I mean, the, the line-up this year is just... Camille, Courtney, yeah, as Maggie, as Will Hayward back, Katie Price, um, Johan Steen, and Andy yeah. Pearson. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but that, that in itself, though, do you know, I would... You see a lot of people putting their medals, etc., up on the um, walls. I would just be putting the lineup of that race yeah. if my name was on it. <laughs> that, yeah, that'd be yeah. the number one pride. All those names and then me. So it just goes to yeah. show what you know the doors that are open to the people like ourselves. You know, if you if you can really develop that resilience, you can really do well in these races. Yeah, and it's just what I find is fascinating is that you've got these world class, top elite runners wanting to do that race you know courtney and camille and um and others like that there's something about this race that draws even people like them who are, who are doing their 24 hour 100 mile world records yeah there's something about this bizarre little format that um <laughs> that draws everybody really yeah i i think it's a it's turning in well it is already a sport of its own like yeah yeah it's over 100 affiliated races now around the world and they're just popping up all over the place so every single weekend now there's a different um, backyard event that's on not at the minute like but yeah. generally what does the rest of the year look like for you then um i've got so suffolk backyards next in june and then i did a slightly typical thing here i um i booked in for the south downs way 100 and all along i've been thinking right i've got Suffolk Backyard June, that in July, and then I got Sweden in August. It was only about a week or two ago I looked just to check the dates of the South Downs Way 100 and found out it was the weekend after Suffolk. Oh, dear. So, uh, <laughs> so I'm hoping to knock out about 200 miles plus at Suffolk, and then five or six days later it'll be onto the 100 mile South Downs Way. Yeah, I do um, find that's a bit dangerous going into a backyard. Listen, I've only done one, so I'm not <laughs> experienced, but I had. <laughs> you know what was coming next in my head and that i didn't want to wipe myself out um but you do sort of need to be all in don't you yeah and i would be i mean if anything you know south downs way if i had to dnf on that then i would but it would be the, the suffolk ones the one i would i'd put everything into and in a way doing 100 miles a week later is actually would be quite good practice for for all the recovery and, and that sort of thing and so i, I used the tunnel <laughs> as a bit of a, a test for that i thought because yesterday or, or Friday, I thought, well, I'd have to be doing the 100 miles today. And I thought, well, I don't feel too bad. So anyway, we'll see how that goes. It might, and again, this is all dependent on whether the race is still going. Yeah. Um, so I've got those in June. And then August, I'm doing this 200 mile on the coast from Gothenburg. My brother lives over in Sweden. So um, going over there, doing that, and then spending a week with him um, and his wife. And then um, uh, the next thing will be Bigs after that. Yeah, I was. I did the Joust 24 hour last year. Yeah, you um, won that last year, didn't I you? Did, I did win that, yeah. So <laughs> I, should, I should be defending that, but the friend's gone and uh, decided to get married on that day. So I, uh, I don't think I'll be able to go back to that. So and I, I put, in, put in for Spartathlon, but I'm 88th on the waiting list. So I think that's not going to be happening this year. Jeez, that is a, f a fun packed year. I'm going to remind you there, by the way, you did say you're going to do a 100 mile race as a recovery run. I'm just pointing that out. <laughs> did I say that? You did actually, as a recovery. Right. Um, yeah. Andy, I wish you all the luck the year ahead. It's a busy one. Hopefully this um, virus sort of 
clears up before we hit those big races. Oh, it'll be devastating not to see everybody at the backyard. I actually did yeah. even fill in there after speaking to Dave Proctor. I filled in the backyard. <laughs> you filled in? What? I filled in the backyard entry form. I think the, the big one. Yeah, I think the only thing I could yeah. fill in was the size of my T-shirt was medium. Right. So, 72 hours, 200 mile race. I was like, okay, I'm a medium. <laughs> you never know. Are you but... going to be doing are you at Florence Court? Um, I wasn't going to, but I wrecked my ankle there a couple of weeks ago. Oh, I was a couple right. of weeks ago. Last week, actually, I was had the dog out for a walk. It was on the flat, so I'm out for a couple of months, believe it or not. So that might mean I might actually do Florence Court. So it's, oh, okay. it's changed my plan slightly. Um, I might go and do it just for a bit more experience, even if it was yeah. 50, 100K or whatever, just to get into that routine. Um, but I do want to do three or four and start pushing the limits a bit and learning a bit more about the yeah. race and a bit more about myself, I suppose. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, definitely like, uh, I'd, I'd love to do 40, 40 hours in a backyard event. Like, <laughs> yeah, well, I'll see you at Castle Ward next year and we'll make sure you, you get around that far. I'll tie myself to you and then nobody will know that I'm sleeping around. Yeah. <laughs> Andy, thanks a lot. That's been a pleasure. Yeah, no, appreciate that. Thank you. Cheers, Robbie. Andy is a good demonstration of how this new wave of ultra endurance events opens the door to us ordinary runners to compete with the best. Really is a crazy time with all races currently being cancelled, which as tough as it seems is most definitely the right thing to ensure everyone's safety. So until next week, stay safe and keep on moving. <laughs>